this morning I want to talk to you about probably the most famous mother in all of Scripture, and that's Mary. There are stories after stories of incredible mothers through Scripture, and I encourage you, read them sometimes. Some of the most inspiring characters in all of Scripture are the mothers that we see throughout Old Testament and New Testament. But Mary is a unique mother, and Mary is one who maybe sometimes we don't give enough attention to, and maybe even credit to, in her life. Because Mary was the mother of the Son of God, the mother of Jesus. And Mary's unique because there will never be another Mary. There will never be another mother of the Son of God. And her role and unique is her role is unique among every other mother in the world because of how God would use her to give birth to the Son of God. And her story is unique because you know Mary is this character who she had maybe even great shame in the beginning because of the virgin birth that came upon her. But more than that, in her life, God used her gentle and humble and meek character to be a blessing to many. And Luke tells us the story of Mary, and you can read that in Matthew 1 and 2, and Luke 1 and 2, the story of Mary and even Elizabeth. Jesus uh, would be his aunt almost. And so there's this interesting thing that happens in Mary's life. While Jesus is being born, there are promises, there are words of hope that are being given to her to encourage her, to inspire her. And if you remember, we talk about this at Christmas, that when Jesus was getting ready to be born, the the angels appeared to the shepherds and told them these words, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all people. In that chapter, Luke tells us that Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart once the shepherds came and told her them that. Remember that today. Mary treasured those words. And then later on, one thing happens in Mary's life that uh, caused her to panic, which causes every mother to panic, is that she was on this long journey and realized that they were halfway through where they were going and realized, uh, where's Jesus? Joseph, I can't find Jesus. And he was missing, 12 years old, couldn't find him wherever they looked and looked. And so they went back to Jerusalem, and there Jesus was in the temple. He was listening to all the scribes talk about the law of God, the word of God. And then it was interesting because Mary and Joseph uh, kind of surprised Jesus in a way. And they say, don't you know you've caused us to worry? And they're kind of panicking and and going on and on and on. And And Jesus responds in such a gentle way. Don't you know, I must be about my father's business. And, you know, you would think Mary would kind of want to scold Jesus and kind of put him under because of what he did. But Mary, the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, 51, that he went down with them and he came to Nazareth, that he was obedient. And Mary, once again, treasured all these things in her heart. And it's important to remember because Mary has a unique perspective that no one else had, the mother of the Son of God. And there are two points in Scripture where this tells us that Mary treasured these things in her heart. It was when she got the news that Jesus was going to bring be good, good news of great joy for all the people, that he was going to be the Messiah. And then the second thing was when Jesus responded, I must be about my father's business. Mary had this perspective that she knew who Jesus was and why he came. He's the Messiah and he's about his father's business. And this perspective influenced her ministry and her life going years down the road. 
And now we're going to jump and read the next point in Scripture where we see Jesus' ministry begin. And I want you to take note that Jesus was 12 years old in the temple when he had gone missing. And now, here we are, we're going to jump probably when Jesus is about 30 years old. There's been this gap of about 20 years that has happened. And we don't know what has happened in those 20 years. We don't know. We just know that Jesus' ministry is about to begin. And it begins with the mother of Jesus, Mary. And so we're going to read John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? Now, when we read that scripture, that almost in our, if we were to say that today to our mother, that would sound very rude. But that's this, this really not a great way to translate this from the original language. When we say woman, that really should be maybe in southern culture, ma'am, or if maybe another way is lady. So this was more of a very polite way of Jesus saying this to her. Uh, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? Basically, Jesus is saying, we're just guests here. Why, why is it our concern if they've run out? And he goes on to say that my hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Remember these words this morning. This is going to come up a lot. Do whatever he tell you, tells you, Mary says to him. Now standing there, there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification. And they each held 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Notice that they're filled up to the brim so that there wouldn't be any question if there's anything else being added to it. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. Now let's, let's kind of unpack some of these roles for a minute. When we're talking about the chief steward, this would have been basically like a reception coordinator. This would have been the person who was responsible for bringing all the food and the drink together. And the people that Mary spoke to would have been like the waiters. They were wearing the white and black pants and they're very fancy and they're trying to make sure that everything is where it's supposed to be. That's kind of the picture of what we see. So the chief steward is the one who's basically in charge here. So they took it. And when the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who drew the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to them, Everyone who serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. And Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in them. And after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they remained there a few days. This story is an interesting story because of the nature of the miracle that happens. And there are seven times throughout John's gospel where he says this is a sign. And this is the first one that John mentions about being a sign in order to believe. And just a little side note, if you like to study the Bible, John 20, 21, I believe, or John chapter 20, says that there were more signs that books of the world could not even hold all the things that Jesus did. And so this is a beautiful a miracle where Jesus' ministry begins with the prime character in it, the mother, Mary. And the story is an interesting story, and I want to talk to you this morning about waiting on Jesus. 
This is really the main theme of this whole story. Maybe it's a hidden theme that doesn't come out so much. But as you begin to read the context and the things that were happening, you'll understand that what was happening in this story is a story of waiting. Waiting on Jesus. Now when we talk about Mary, or when we talk about waiting rather, this, we kind of have this idea of maybe it's like waiting in the line at the DMV or waiting in traffic. But that's not really the idea that scripture tells us about waiting. The better way to understand the concept of waiting is more like a waiter or waitress coming to your table at a restaurant. They're continually attentive to your needs. A good waiter is one who that even before you finish that glass of water, you have another cup in hand. And they're constantly looking after you. They're bringing your food. Is everything okay? Can I get you anything? They're always looking after. And this is the image that Scripture is trying to relay to us about waiting. That waiting on Jesus is not a passive thing. It's an active thing. It's a verb. It requires action. It's not something where you sit and you do nothing. It requires action. And that's what we get this picture here is here are these people who are called servants, but really we might call them waiters. They're waiting on them. And Mary looks at them and tells them, hey, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. And it's interesting that they actually responded to Mary. She's just a guest, but she must have said it with such authority that they said, okay, yes, we'll do it. So here it is that we begin to see the picture of what it means to wait on Jesus. Notice this, once again, going back to what we said in the beginning, that Mary understood who Jesus is and why he came, and she had not lost faith in that. And when you understand in your life and in my life, when we understand who Jesus is and why he came, you will gladly do, just like Mary said, whatever he tells you. You don't have to question. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to guess. When you understand that Jesus is the Messiah, in other words, He's the one who's came to rescue us all, and you understand that He came to be about His Father's business, it is no greater joy than to do whatever Jesus tells you to do. And this is what the picture is really we're getting to see here, is that they were learning in this, and it's a picture about waiting on Jesus. And ultimately, they're going to see, as we're going to talk this morning, that the response to their waiting, the response to their action of being waiters and waitresses, was this, the revealing of God's glory. And we see this is the first sign. So the first thing I want to tell you, talk to you about is waiting on Jesus is passing the test. Waiting on Jesus is passing the test. I don't know about you, but one of the uh, most anxious times in my life was during school when I would have to wait for the grade of my test. I was the type of student that I couldn't wait. I didn't want to wait. I was ready to know right then and there. And it's an anxious time. You're wanting to know what grade did I get? Well, how did I do? And this is really what is happening here, that there's a test in progress. I want to show you once again. Notice here that Jesus insisted that the miracle be put to the test. The scripture in John's account is very unique. And, and just to give you a little bit more context about John, if you remember, you go to Jesus when he's being crucified and he's hanging on the cross. He looks at Mary and he says, woman, behold your son, and tells John, behold your mother. And really what happens is, is he forges this new son and mother relationship between John. And we know later on that most likely John went to spend his late days with Mary and probably in Ephesus. So they had this relationship. So so the story that is wrote here in the Gospel of John may be been one that Mary shared with him personally. And she, so we get this perspective that's kind of from Mary's eyes. 
So Jesus insisted that the miracle be put to the test. Listen, Scripture is very intentional. There is always a reason why things are there in the way that they are. And this one about why Jesus said, take the jars and take it to the chief steward. He had a purpose in that. He could have just said, don't just take it to the crowd, start serving it right away. But he went through this extra layer of authority. Jesus insisted that it be put to the test, and he insisted that it be put to the test right away. He didn't command that the water made wine first be served to the guests, but he said, take it to the master of the feast, the chief steward, and let him taste it. And the Bible tells us that he did. He tasted it, and when he tasted it, he was kind of confused. He didn't understand why they had saved the best wine till last. And you can kind of see this picture play out. He calls to the bride and the groom sitting at their table and says, Hey, did you know that you've got the best wine till last? And he calls out to them. And he doesn't know what's happened in all of this. But we see that what has happened is it's been tested by the proper authority and he did it the right way. And you know, that's what waiting is. Waiting on Jesus is passing the test. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 says it this way. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Who says that? Scripture says that. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And this is the story of waiting, waiting on Jesus. There are seasons in our lives that may be full of suffering, that may be full of silence, that may be full of emptiness, but the waiting is a necessary part of every believer's life. Every person in here as a believer, we will all have to go through seasons of waiting. For this very reason, Romans tells us, because it's in those times of suffering through waiting that it produces perseverance. And scripture also tells us that he that endures to the end shall be saved. So if we don't learn how to persevere, then how will we endure? So scripture tells us that even more so, that you, when you learn how to persevere, you get character built up. When you learn in those seasons of life to stand firm, to stand planted, you get another layer of integrity to your life. You learn how to be faithful. You learn how to be true and sincere and authentic. And perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. There's ever a time in our world people are looking for hope. It's right now. And do you want to know how hope comes? It comes by waiting on Jesus. Waiting on Jesus. Why does waiting on Jesus produce hope? Because it's just like this. Notice how when a waiter or waitress comes to your table, they always have their attention on you, a good one at least. They always have their attention on you, always checking on you. And that's the same process of waiting. Remember, it's active. Somebody who's waiting is always attentive to Jesus. They're always near to him. They're always checking into him. Even if it's silent, even if it's suffering, they're always near to Jesus, looking to him, putting their eyes upon him. And so the way that hope is built up is because you are continually waiting on Jesus. Hope rises up as you put your eyes upon the one who has it all in his hands, who has everything that you could ever want or need in the palm of his hand. So therefore, hope arises. Perseverance arises. Character arises because waiting is active. It's a process where our eyes are fixed upon Jesus. And this is what waiting is all about, is passing the test. And God wants you and I to pass the test for this next point we're going to talk about. Waiting on Jesus is waiting for the best. 
Notice that Jesus, that the chief steward, he said, they have brought out the good wine first. They've brought out the best. And this was the way that Jesus revealed his glory. The best wine until now. The glory revealed. Waiting on Jesus is waiting for the best. And this is the story of Mary. Remember, Mary knew who Jesus was and she knew why he came. And now we're in this time where there has been a 20-year gap of time where she hasn't seen that happen. She didn't see the miracles. She didn't see the promises. She didn't see that what happened, what she thought was going to happen, but she didn't lose faith in it. She was waiting on Jesus. She kept waiting and waiting and waiting, and she didn't even know really probably in this time that Jesus would do anything other than do whatever he tells you. And listen to what happened here, that waiting produces a harvest of righteousness. The best wine came after a season of waiting. The best, the best gift came, the glory came after seasons of waiting. Spurgeon said it this way, I can conceive you, brethren, in the very last moment of your life or in the first moment of your life that he has kept the best wine until now. When you begin to see him face to face, when you enter into the closest fellowship with nothing to disturb you or to distract you, then you shall say, the best wine is kept until now. This is where a lot of people lose heart. They don't want to wait anymore. They want to give up. They, they give up on the seasons of waiting. They get tired in the seasons of waiting. But listen, without the seasons of waiting, you and I would never realize when God gives us his best. It's during those seasons of waiting when things are kind of stale, when things are kind of boring and it seems like it's dry, that it's in those seasons that give contrast to God's best, that when God does do his best, you and I will recognize and appreciate God has brought out his best for you and I. And that's just the purpose of waiting, is that God wants you and I to go through seasons of waiting for our benefit, for our good, so that everything that God's done will work together for our good, but it requires seasons of waiting. Maybe it's a thing you've been praying about. Maybe it's a, a, a provision that you need in your life. Maybe it's this or that, whatever it may be. The truth is, is that when you learn to wait on Jesus, you're learning to wait for his best. And I don't know about you, but I want God's best for my life. And it happens on the other side of waiting. And this is what Mary had to realize, is that God wanted the best for her. And can you imagine this moment? Listen, this is a miracle in and of itself, is that Mary had been waiting 20 years, and then all of a sudden, she sees a miracle happen before her eyes, water turn into wine. It wasn't maybe what she thought, blind eyes weren't open, the lame didn't jump up at the moment, but what she saw was a miracle that happened in a very subtle way. The glory was revealed. And this is the truth of even Romans, that we glory in our sufferings, that there's a glory on the other side of our waiting. And God wants to help us to get through those seasons of waiting so we can have his best. Thirdly, we see this, that waiting on Jesus is not a waste. Waiting on Jesus is not a waste. Imagine what would have happened if Mary had given up after 20 years and had lost her faith, thrown in the towel and said, I'm not going to wait anymore. I'm not going to endure. I'm not going to press on anymore. I've given up on the promises of who he is and why he came, and we're just going to toss it all aside. No, what happened here is a miracle of Jesus showing us that he, what waiting is not a waste. 
Notice what happened here in this miracle is that Jesus defied both time and nature. Grape wine takes a process. Somebody has to plant the grapes. Somebody has to tend to it, harvest it. It has to go through this process of time over and over again. Years maybe even. And what happened here is that Jesus bypassed the entire time frame and moments. Something only God can do. God knew that glory would be revealed in this moment, marking the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And so what happened was changing water into wine required demonstrating power over time and space. And you and I often live our lives feeling constricted by those limits of time and space. But this miracle shows us that we serve a God who is bigger and greater than time and space. And the plans that he has for our life, though it tarry, it will happen in its appointed time. And though it feels like it's not happening in the right time, that we wanted to. God is not subject to time or space or therefore he would be dethroned as God. His very nature is showing his power and control. And it's unique that this is the first miracle because this would be the miracle really where Jesus would make a statement and say, I am the son of God. I am not confined by your time frame. I'm not confined by your space limits, but I do it in my time. And so harvesting this process would have been years, but Jesus bypassed it in only moments. What took years to happen, God did it in a moment. What took a long season and process, God did it in a moment. And that's the way waiting feels like oftentimes, is that it feels like this long season that goes on and on and on and on. It feels like a season that would never end. A difficult season, hard seasons, waiting, praying about this thing or praying about that thing or waiting for a word to come true that God promised you. Waiting, waiting, waiting. It feels like a longest season ever. But God shows us in this moment that he will do it exactly in his time. That waiting on Jesus is not a waste. That Jesus fulfills his word, his promises to us in just the right time. It was the perfect moment. And it's interesting that Jesus spoke up to Mary and said, my hour is not yet come. But yet he decided anyways to show his miracle in this time and in this place of waiting. This is where it gets difficult because you and I, one of our greatest enemies as humans is time. We're, we feel like we're up against the race of time before our life passes away. We're always up against time. But listen here today is that what Jesus does in those time frames that seem like forever, it's not a waste. It's for a purpose. It produces character, produces perseverance, it produces hope. And remember that on the other side of that is God's best. I want to ask the musicians to come as we begin to wrap up. The Bible tells us that in Habakkuk, an interesting scripture here that I want to read to you today. We, we talked about the minor prophets some time ago. And Habakkuk was giving them a word from the Lord about waiting. A word that you and I can practice here today as we're waiting. He says to them in Habakkuk chapter 3, he says, There is still a vision for the appointed time. There is still a vision for the appointed time. Now, most of us, if you're like me, you have a calendar. And I, I live by my calendar. It has appointments. It has things that happen. I know when I need to be here, when I need to be there at a certain time. And can I tell you something? God has an appointed time for everything. He's God. He knows best. We think it should happen now. But God says, no, I think it needs to happen later because he's God. For the vision is for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. 
It seems to tarry. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. If it seems to tarry, Habakkuk tells them. Here they are, a group of people that are waiting for God's word to be fulfilled to them. And Habakkuk knew and God knew as he spoke through him that this is where most people give up. Is that it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. We live our life by appearances, by the way we can see things. We, we try to live our life by sight. But this is the scripture that reminds us again that in seasons of waiting, it is ever more important than ever than to live our lives by faith and not by sight. That if it doesn't seem like it's going to happen, scripture tells them, just wait for it. Wait for it. Not like you're waiting at the DMV. That seems like the longest wait ever. But the type of wait that is faithful to Jesus, that serves him, that is near to him, that you don't give up trusting him, that you don't walk away from his promises, but you keep being faithful even when you don't feel like it, even when it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. The Bible tells us it will surely come. It will not delay. And I want to encourage you today. Don't lose heart in waiting. Don't lose heart in that season where it feels like it's never going to happen. No. Do like Mary said. When Mary instructed those waiters, the best thing you and I can do in seasons of waiting, the best words of encouragement I could ever tell you in your seasons of waiting is what Mary told those waiters. Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever Jesus says. Follow him. Trust him. Be near to him. If he says do this, do that. If it doesn't feel like it's in line with your promise, don't worry about it. Do whatever he tells you. Because remember, waiting for Jesus is waiting for his best. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you close your eyes with me this morning? We all know most patient people on the earth are our mothers. Mary showed us that. She learned to wait, waiting to see his glory revealed. Can I just encourage you this morning, encouraging myself today? Trust the Lord. Don't leave on his promise. Don't give up. Wait for it. He's not one that he should slumber or sleep. No, he's faithful to his word. It will surely come. It will not delay at the appointed time. This morning you're here, you've been in a season of waiting, you're growing tired, you need renewal and strength and fresh faith. And I just encourage you today, put your eyes upon Jesus again. Wait upon him. Don't lose heart in that season. Keep waiting. Keep trusting him. Oh, how he'll fulfill his word. There's no greater joy. There's no greater thing that anybody could do than just to wait on Jesus. Well, it's our joy to serve him, to be faithful to him. This morning, if you're here today, you want to pray at the front, feel free to come pray. You need fresh faith, come pray. You want to kneel at your seat, pray. However you need fresh faith, ask God today. Oh, God is faithful to his word, but keep being faithful to him. Keep waiting on him this morning. Lord, we thank you today, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder to us today that, God, we grow weary in our waiting sometimes, but help us to not lose heart, God. Help us to not give up on your promises, Lord, that you will do everything you said you will do. You'll do the process that you're faithful to do. You'll make us character again. You'll give us perseverance and hope again. And so, Lord, today we pray that we could be a people who learn to wait upon you, Jesus, to wait and trust in you, Father, to be near to you, Lord, to 
be faithful to you in this season, God. Lord, help us, Father, to just wait for it, to do whatever you say to us to do, Lord. Help us, Father, in that season, Jesus. Lord, I thank you today. I pray for encouragement and renewal today for those who are waiting this morning. Give them faith today. Give them strength today. And God, we thank you this morning. In Jesus' name. As the choir sings, you want to pray, feel free to pray at the front, at your seat, however. But let's sing this morning in praying and faith. <laughs>